Father, we uh, humbly recognize that your word has the power. As you said, your word is like a hammer that can crush hard hearts. And maybe there's a hard heart in here today who has heard every single message ever. I mean, they've, they've been at church for years, yet their hearts are hard towards you. Use your word like a hammer there. Lord, you also said your word is like a sword, that it pierces to the division of the joints and marrow. It, it judges the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And maybe there are some here who know that when it comes to their thoughts and their intentions, maybe outwardly they look good, but inwardly they're full of dead men's bones. Would you use your word to open their eyes? God, Satan blinds people, open eyes today, but also for those who are faithfully following you. They love you. They are desiring to follow you more. Would you use your word to encourage them and strengthen them? And maybe some don't believe you exist. God, use your word even in their lives to draw them to see that you do exist. And not only do you exist, but you're actually near to them. And I pray that you do that today in Jesus' name. Amen. I've shared this a little bit, but one of the main questions I want you to wrestle through is what do you believe is truth? What are you actually believing is truth? Because all of us have some sort of truth that we think about or that we go through. And you can, I can guarantee you that you can't trust that your feelings are truth. Because your feelings, they come and go. And you can't trust the philosophers to tell you what truth is. You know why? Here's one of them. He says, the only absolute truth is that there are no, one, no absolute truths. Okay, so that, that didn't work out too well. Here's another one. You ever heard of this guy? He's very popular, really great psychologist. Been, or a, he's also a philosopher. He says there are no eternal facts as there are no absolute truths. You ready for another quote from him? You ready? I love this. Sometimes people don't want to hear the truth because they don't want their illusions destroyed. Wait a minute, what? <laughs> I thought there wasn't any truth. Well, the reality is there are truths. But sometimes, even though, and I, I, have, a, I have a specific heart for kids who are raised in the church. Because we know, we know what to say, what to do, how to live. We know the right things to say that we believe. But does anyone know what deism is? I found the more that I, I, I grew up in the faith, and the more, as I was pastoring, I realized that there was a lot of practical deism, deism in my life. Here's my definition. This is not, you will not ever find this definition in a theology book. But deism is the belief that God created the world, set it in motion, then went and is now taking a nap. That's my definition. That, you know, God started it all up and now you just kind of are left on your own. If you want to follow God, you just got to work really hard. You got to read your Bible. You got to pray. You got to go to church. You got to be kind. You got to go to camp. And you got to not swear where you're at camp and if you're with your other friends who do swear, it's okay as long as your Christian friends don't know. And you, it, That's deism. Deism practically expressed itself in me as I would come to these camps. And it's like I have to have a really, really good sermon that's super interesting. And I have to know what every one of the, the people that I'm speaking to, who they follow on Instagram and TikTok. And I can't keep up with you guys. I'm sorry. Like, <laughs> it just changes too fast. That's not, though, what our Lord teaches. The word of God does not teach that God set the world in motion and is now taking a nap. And this is why the last point last night was so important. Life is hard when you don't believe the Bible is true. Because you still have to believe something and someone. And you still have to have fi find somewhere for your answers. 
So I want to share with you from Psalm 139, as we're going to spend a lot of time there, just some truths about how God is involved in our lives. You could also say God is working. But the ways that God are involved is, number one, God formed you. That's physical involvement. We already read this text, but looking at it again, verses 13 through 16, it says, You created my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you because I've been remarkably and wondrously made. Your works are wondrous. I know this very well. My bones were not hidden from you when I was made in secret, when I was formed in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw me when I was formless. All my days were written in your book and planned before a single one of them happened. Our God says, and the word of God says, that when you were conceived in your mother's womb, he went to work. He formed your skull. He developed your legs. He determined your gender. He chose your birthmark or lack thereof. And I know today that there's a lot of confusion about gender, and I'm sure in this crowd some of you are struggling with it. I remember I was on, on YouTube wasting time, because what else do you do on YouTube? I guess there are some informative videos, but I was on YouTube, and a thing popped up right underneath the video that said, Take a test. How gay are you? I didn't take the test, but I can guarantee you, if I took it, I would come back as partially gay. And I guarantee you that because um, I like washing dishes. I, I like vacuuming. I like doing housework. Um, I'm emotional. I can talk to people for hours. Like, I, I'm that type of guy. Like, some guys, I go to talk to them, and, and they use, I mean, it's like a, talking to a Neanderthal. It's like, hey, what's up? It's like, nothing. How you doing? Good. What are you doing today? Nothing. It's like, I can talk for hours, though, but that doesn't mean that God made a mistake when he made me a man. A neighbor of mine growing up was always a little bit beefier, and she had some male tendencies, you could say. She was always tough, but she was always a girl to us. She was just a girl you didn't ever mess with. <laughs> but today, she's living a lesbian lifestyle, and I saw a picture just even this morning of her again. Because somewhere along the line, she stopped believing that God made her the way he made her. I want to share with you a couple of verses. This is something that's grown in my passion. Um, being a man, guys, I'm going to talk to you for a minute. Being a man is not a bad thing. It's actually a biblical thing. There's a verse in scripture that says, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like persons. No, it doesn't say that. It says, act like men, be strong. There's another text that says, dress for action like a man. So clearly, there's some way that men act. And you actually got to see it last night. You remember the balloon popping game? I don't know. He's back there somewhere. You know, he's up here. The game started, he didn't know exactly what the game was, but he was going to win. <laughs> and the game started, and he got, I, I think I saw the, there was a, one of those tees. And he was, he was acting like a man. He's like, I'm going to win this. And I, I watched him as he took off running. And he won. He acted like a man. He was strong. God did not make a mistake when he called you to be a man, guys. And it's not wrong to be 
a man. Here's another verse that I've grown to love. The man who finds a wife finds a treasure, for he receives favor from the Lord. Stop and think about this, guys, and girls, because this is important. Who does the finding? The man. Guys, guess who gets to ask the girls out? We do. You know what that means? She's going to say no sometimes. (laughs) And you've got to be man enough to deal with that. Girls, you don't want to be the main girl who asks a guy out. Because you know what? You're going to have to carry him the rest of the relationship. You want a man who's willing to ask you out. And you say no. And he's like, I'm just going to ask again. (laughs) The man is the one who pursues. And guys, our culture tells us it's wrong to be a man. It is not wrong to be a man. It is good to be a man. A godly man especially. And one of the one of the pains in my life, uh, I'm I'm privileged. I was talking to someone just just a minute ago, a few minutes ago. I'm privileged to have a lot of men in our church. But one of the pains in my life is deadbeat men who have no spiritual backbone. They they aren't leading at all. And I've got these I've got these wives who are bringing their kids to church, and the dads at home. And I got these, these ladies who are coming to church, they're doing Bible studies, they're reading books, and dad's at home doing nothing. We need men, and we need men of God, because when God created you, he didn't make a mistake, guys. God formed you, that's his physical involvement with you. Now, I understand that this topic of gender is more laden with difficulty than this, And if you're struggling with your identity, I don't have all the answers, but please come talk to me. I'll do my best to take you to what the Word of God says. And that's what I'm doing right now. The Word of God says your gender was made by God and he didn't make a mistake. Point number two, God sustains you. That's personal involvement. God sustains you. That is personal involvement. Now, we're still talking about unbelievers here. here. We're talking about everybody. Every one of you were created by God. Every one of you are sustained by God. In our text says Acts 17, 24 through 28, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, doesn't live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And in him we live and move and have our being. Here's another verse, Matthew 5, 45. He, being God, makes the sun to rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Can I tell you about a person who's not godly that I got to recently interact with? He's my neighbor, and uh, I thought I led him to Christ last April, but um, he's got a brand new Toyota Tundra, and I thought it was so cool. And he's old, and he paid cash for it, and I'm like, who pays cash for this? But anyway, he's like, hey, Aaron, can you help me figure out my truck? Like, yes, yes, I can. Absolutely, I'll serve Jesus that way. You bet. So I'm there with him in his truck. He's like, you can drive it if you want. I'm like, oh, okay, yep, I'll drive it. So we're driving along, and I, I had to see what it was like. It's got a turbo engine in it, but he's in the car, so I couldn't see completely what it was like. So I, I, I take off, and I'm like, dude, this truck is awesome. Like, this is so cool. He's like, you can do it again and go more. I'm like, okay. You know, we take off. We get home. I was like, hey, thanks for letting me drive your truck. I'm glad I could help you out. He goes, hey, you can use it anytime. Don't 
always believe people when they say that. Long story short, I had to go get a desk. I was like, hey, can I use your truck? He's like, yeah, I'll come with you. Or, well, he was gonna, I asked if he'd come with me. We drive down. We have a good time. We're unloading the desk, and something on his truck, I find a, a screw that's loose on his truck. I'm like, hey, this screw's loose. He goes, oh, do you have something to fix that? I'm like, oh, no. And we were at someone from our church's house. And this guy's really good. He's really handy. So he's, he's peeling it up. He tries to figure it out. And he takes the screw out. And then he goes and gets another screw. And he's like, oh, I'm sorry. I just have the exact same size screw. This guy flips a switch. And he's like, you don't have the right screw. I mean, just, he, my guy's got a toolbox right there. Guy from my church. He takes the toolbox Chucks it through the guy's garage. Slit his brand new truck. He slams that trunk. I ran for the garage door because we were in this guy's garage. Ran for the garage door. I hit it because I'm like, I can see this guy. He's the type of guy. He'd just drive out of the garage. So I opened the garage door. Sure enough, when the garage got up high enough, he punched it. He peeled out in this guy's garage, threw rocks as he left, and took off. Why do I tell you that? Because that guy's still alive today. You know why? Because God gives him rain on the just and on the unjust. He makes the sun to rise on the evil and on the good. God sustains every person, no matter the type of person that they are. That's personal involvement. I could tell you another story about a guy who he'd never been into church, and he thought he'd be zapped by lightning if he came in. And so he... He walked into our doors, and he was about to walk into the auditorium, and he stopped. And he had a shirt like this, and he had grease all over his jeans, and he had a tie. I'm like, where did you even find that tie? But he stopped, and he wouldn't walk in because he's like, God's going to kill me. I haven't been in church in so long. Finally, he stepped over. Guess what? He's still alive. God sustains you guys. Even if you don't love God, even if you don't believe in God, you're still alive. Somehow you're still alive. Third point, he saves you. And this is obviously the most important point. He saves you. That's eternal involvement. Turn over to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. Now, I've kind of uh, borne my guts to you guys a little bit. I have another confession to make. Whenever I was at camp or at school and they start talking about the gospel, I tuned out. Because I'd heard it 100,000 times. So here's my question for you before you tune out. How many of you, I want you to raise your hand, how many of you have shared the gospel with someone in the last six months? Okay? Okay. Because when we hear the gospel, it's not just for us. We're not just containers of the word of God. We're supposed to be sharing that with others. So don't just think about this just for yourself. Think about this as you share it with other people. John chapter 6 verse 40 though teaches us something. For this is the will of my Father. This is verse 40, John 6. This is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him will have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. Look at verse 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. And I used to share the gospel. It says, I used to share the gospel, especially in settings like this, where I know that some people are probably unsaved. And I thought, I just have to share it really well. But God's got to draw you to himself. Turn over to John chapter 12, verse 32. John chapter 12, verse 32. 
as we share the gospel with others, and even as I share the gospel with you now, God's got to be the one who works. That's why I didn't ask you if you led someone to Christ, because God's got to be the one who draws them. Verse 32 of John chapter 12 is, As for me, if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. And God is saving people even to this day. I'm going to share with you my testimony. As a four-year-old boy, I wrestled in my mind with thoughts about the reality of hell. I remember realizing that even at four, I'd already sinned enough that I deserved to go to hell. And so I leaned over to my brother and I said, hey, I'm really scared about hell. I'm really scared about where I'm going. Um, What do I need to do? And he quoted this verse to me. And it's become very, very precious to me, even though it's super common. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And that's true today. That's a promise. If you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, that is because of the love of God who sent Jesus Christ down to take your sin. And when you put your trust in him, you repent of your sin, call out for Christ to save you, your sin, the punishment for your sin, is laid on Jesus. It is laid on him at the cross. And I got to see this kind of in real life, if you would. I used to think, well, maybe I should ask. Have any of you ever used a metal baseball bat with a golf ball? That is so much fun. I'm so, if you haven't, I don't know if I should say this. Don't tell your parents I told you this. Uh, I won't tell you. Okay, now I, I had a story, though, where I was in our backyard. We had a pretty big backyard. I had a golf ball. I threw it up. Wham! And I hit it with a metal baseball bat. And he just goes, tink! And then the ball launches. It's so cool. Well, I go and I get the ball, and it's like, I don't want to walk all the way back and hit it again. I'm just going to hit it now. So the house is that way, and I'm like, I'll just hit it softly. Tink. And I'm like, like you know when, you know when something bad's going to happen and you already know it? Like, you know it's coming. After I hit that ball, I knew it. And here it goes. It's flying, flying along. And there, we have a basement window. I kid you not. It's like two feet tall by four feet wide. I'm like, no, there's no way. Sure enough. Right through that window. That had to be fixed. And someone had to pay for it. And my parents ended up paying for it. But each one of us are sinners, and sin has a punishment. And the Bible says the wages of sin is death. The payment has to be made. And the good news is that Christ has done that, where he has laid, the, our sin has been laid on him, and we can trust him for eternal life. And sometimes God works in people's hearts as they think about the reality of hell. Sometimes they think about the reality of the greatness of our God. But other times God will use habitual sin in your friends' lives to get them to realize that they've never actually been born again. I was one time sitting in my living room, 9 o'clock at night, and I got a text from a guy. He'd grown up in our church. You remember the guy that carried me in the snow? Remember that guy? Yeah. Excuse me. He'd now gone off to college, and he was not living a godly life. And he texted me. He says, how can I know for sure that I'm saved? And it was like the Spirit said, don't tell him. <laughs> so I said, go read First John over and over again and ask the Holy Spirit to open your eyes. Well, later I found out that the reason he asked that is because he was so addicted to pornography that it was just completely consuming him. And 
what ended up happening was as he read 1 John, God opened his eyes to see that he had never truly been born again. And he placed his faith in Jesus Christ. And he was born again. And today, he is now going off as a missionary. But God used, I mean, God is involved. He used that sin that was in his life to help him see that he had not yet repented of his sin. And the verse that God used for him, I'm just going to turn to it for you, is Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, where it says, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live I live in the body. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Verse 21, though, is what caught him. It hit him like a nail, like just hit him right between the eyes. It says, I don't set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness comes through the law, Christ died for nothing. And God saves you. And maybe you today are like, I don't know for sure that I'm saved. And I want you to know that if you call out to Jesus Christ, you confess your sins, you repent of your sins, you ask him to forgive you of your sins, he will save you according to his word. Lots of people express that by prayer. And here's a prayer that's kind of something that oftentimes people pray. And I want you to think through this. And if this is true of you, you can pray, Heavenly Father, I've sinned against you, and I want forgiveness for all my sins. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for me and rose again. I give you my life to do with as you wish. I want Christ to come into my life and into my heart. This I ask in Jesus' name. And the reason why we do that is because it says in Scripture, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God is raised from the dead, we will be saved. Now I want you to look at the fourth point here. God knows you and loves you. That's relational involvement. Back in Psalm 139, turn back there with me, Psalm 139. Verses 1 through 6. God knows your dreams. He knows your desires. He knows your good works. It says in verses 1 through 6, Oh, Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit down and when I fall asleep during the sermon. Wait, that's not in there. Is that in your translation? No. When I sit down and when I stand up, you understand my thoughts from afar. You observe my travails and my rest. You're aware of all my ways. Before I say anything, you already know about it, Lord. You have encircled me. You have placed your hand on me. This is wondrous knowledge. It's beyond me. It's lofty and I'm unable to reach it. I have found in life that one of the hardest things to do is to trust people with who you really are. Because one of the thoughts can be is if people knew what had happened in my life or what I've done, they will not love me. And I had to battle that when I was a pastor and I was in a group of pastors. And Pat Nemmers, if you know him, I don't hate him, but uh, I say that lovingly. I'm a little bit dramatic. Here we are, a group of pastors, and the question of personal sin came up. What do pastors do that are sins? And he goes, well, statistically, 50% of you are looking at porn in the last six months. I'm like, because I was struggling with it. He said, so what are the sins that you guys are struggling with? We're a bunch of pastors. You should have seen us running for cover. I mean, there were pastors just backing up like, no, no, no. I just meant generically, how do we deal with sins? And, and guys were scattering everywhere mentally, and you could see them backpedaling. And I was just dying on the inside because I'd been struggling with lust and struggling with pornography. And finally, there was a moment of silence, and I just raised my hand, and I said, I'm one of the 50%. I just started crying, and I bowed my head, and it went dead silent. You know your worst fear? Like, if you tell someone who you really are, 
they won't have any clue what to say. That's exactly what happened. But Pat then prayed, shared scripture with me, and I had wondered, what if they all hate you, hate me? What if they never talked to me again? But what ended up happening was they knew me more, and I found out they still loved me. God knows all about you guys, and he still loves you. And that's a wonderful truth. Every one of us longs to be known and loved. But most of us worry that if we were known, we would not be loved. But God knows your person. It said that you've searched me and known me. He knows your direction. It says you search out where I'm headed, and he knows what you say. And I want you to, I'm gonna, I want to encourage you, Matthew 25. Turn with me there. If you got a Bible, turn with me to Matthew chapter 25. On Sunday, um, kind of had a little bit of a meltdown. I've pastored the same church for nine years and seen very few people come to know Christ as their Savior. And it, it burdened me. And so I ended kind of in tears, and uh, a man from my church came up afterwards, and this is what he shared. And so I want to share this to you who are ser- serving the Lord faithfully, but you're not loving him as much as you want to, but you're desiring to, you're loving his word, you're trying to stay in his word. Listen to this verse. This is what the guy shared with me. It says in Matthew 25, verse 35, he says, I was hungry. I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? And he says, as you did this to someone else, you've done it to me. And this man looked me right in the eye, and he goes, you have done more than you have any clue that you've done. And if you're loving God right now, I want to encourage you that you've done more than you have any clue that you've done. And God knows you, and he loves you. And so keep on pursuing him. He is working. Final point, he's changing you. He is changing you. If you're a child of God, he's right now working in you. I recently turned 30 and I reflected back on the last decade of my life. And I realized I was way, I was way more sinful than I ever thought I would be. And God was way more kind and gracious than I ever imagined him to be. But a verse that's meant a lot to me is Romans chapter 5, verse 1 through 5. Listen to this, Romans 5, 1 through 5. We know verse 1, therefore, since we've been declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We've also obtained access through Christ into, um, by him, into faith, into his grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of glory of God. And not only that, and here, Christian, hear this. Not only that, this is what I was talking about last night. But we rejoice in our afflictions. Because we know that affliction produces endurance. Endurance produces proven character. Proven character produces hope. And this hope will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. I shared last night that life is hard, and it is. But God uses even those difficult things in our life to shape you and mold you into the man of God or woman of God that he wants you to be. He is changing you. And he keeps changing me, and I'm really thankful for that. Now, I enjoy detailing. And so I've got a couple of pictures here of before and after. This is a car I just recently did. That was before. This is my after. Yeah, pretty nice, right? That was before. This is after. That was before. Guys, this is so gross. took me 12 hours. That was after. There's a before of the door. Yeah, 
Isn't that satisfying? Here's a before of a truck, and I don't know if I have a, you can't, see that? That's puke. <laughs> oh, it was gross, guys. This was the grossest truck I've ever done. That was the after. People love getting their cars detailed. I love detailing them. But do you know what? There are three main tools I use, a vacuum, a drill brush, and a shampooer. Those are the three main ones. And God uses his word like a tool to change us in our lives. It's like the vacuum. That's what does the most work. But then if you want to get clean results, you have to agitate that carpet. You have to agitate stuff. And God uses suffering like that in our lives to change us into something amazing. And then the shampooer is the Holy, like the Holy Spirit who continues to work on us. And I want you to know that it is, it is awesome when you let God into the little details of your life. A detail is cool. It's not like vacuuming your car. It's not like cleaning your car, okay? This took me 12 hours to do that, that Suburban. This one took me 13, uh, 10, or, 10 or 13 hours between the two of us. But God wants to work in your life too. He wants to work in your desires. He wants to work in your passions. And he is working. And you can trust him to do that. So I got three questions for you. Since God is involved, will you look for three ways that he's worked in your life? Because sometimes when you're a teenager, you're like, I don't know how God's worked. Secondly, since God is involved, will you see your gender as a gift from him? Will you see it as a gift? Then thirdly, since God is involved, will you offer him your life? God is amazing. He's happy to use you. And I still remember 12 years old sitting at camp when I dedicated my life to be in full-time ministry. And I was just telling Willie, I was like, I remember thinking the speakers are so cool. I don't think that as much anymore. But camps where I dedicated my life even just to do this, guys. Give God your life. Offer it to him. And he will use it. Father, I thank you for the attention that each one gave. And I pray you'd use your word in their hearts. Grow them. Thank you that you are working. You are involved. And I thank you for the privilege of getting to speak your word again. In Jesus' name. Amen.